The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. It's Numbers 20, 14 through 29. It's entitled, From Kadesh to Mount Hor. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. Then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Then he said, You shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Now the children of Israel, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people, and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded. Then they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. Now when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron thirty days. Taking these Old Testament stories and then combining them with the truths found in the New Testament, one can see pattern after pattern jump off of the Bible's pages. Concerning Aaron and his office, this is no surer than when one reads the books of Romans and Hebrews, but hints of such things are found all through the epistles. In Romans, Paul explains the doctrinal truths which tell us of the weakness of the law and the strength of being in Christ. Hebrews tells us of the weakness of those who administered the law and the strength of Christ who administers the new covenant. In understanding the content of both books, one gets a full picture of the person and work of Jesus Christ in relation to those who come to him and the difference between those who only looked to him in type and shadow. In the end, when those truths are understood, the completely ineffective, temporary, and futile system, which is the law of Moses, comes shining forth. And remember, these books of the New Testament weren't written by biased Gentiles who had some type of axe to grind against the Jews. Rather, they were written by Jews who had lived under the law, 
grasped what God had done through Christ and had moved wholeheartedly to cling to the one who had become the focal point of their lives and of their faith. In Paul's case, there were very few in all of Israel who stood on a more sure footing under the law, and yet he realized how unsure that footing actually was. Our text verse comes from Hebrews chapter 7. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Whether Paul was the author of Hebrews or not, I would argue yes, after having just completed an entire commentary on the book of Hebrews yesterday, the author did understand the fallible nature of the Aaronic priesthood, which administered the law of Moses simply by noting the deaths of the priests, especially meaning the high priests. The first of those deaths is recorded in our verses today. Aaron, from whom the line of the Aaronic priesthood is derived, a priesthood that lasted almost 1,500 years, died and was buried. He could no longer make intercession for the people of Israel. Instead, one of his sons had to take his place, and then another son came, and another, and another. They kept on dying, like dominoes in time, one dropping after the next. If you were looking for permanency under the law of Moses, you were not going to find it. And more, consider what the ultimate cause of their deaths was from. If you can remember what that is, then you can figure out much more about the weak, ineffective, and sad state of affairs of that priesthood and of the hopeless state of those who were ministered to under that priesthood. Only in the hope of Messiah was there any true hope at all. These truths are once again to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you today. They're very short. The first is Edom's refusal. It's verses 14 through 21. The timing of the events of this account are hard to pin down. As we saw, the first 13 verses of this chapter referred to the incident at Meribah, which occurred before the time of punishment for not entering Canaan. The verses now come towards the end of their time of wandering in punishment. Both Numbers 20 verse 1 and Numbers 20 verse 14 indicate that the events are in Kadesh, and so the entire time of punishment is overlooked in the narrative. They were in Kadesh at the beginning of their punishment, and they ended up in Kadesh as their punishment was ending. Other than that, it's hard to be dogmatic about timing, and this is especially so because dogs don't use calendars. Verse 14, now Moses sent messengers. The word for messengers here is malak. It is the same word translated as angels, including when speaking of the angel of the Lord and so on. It simply means an envoy, a messenger, and so on. Therefore, it can refer to divinely appointed messengers or simply men who are designated as envoys. In this, Moses sent Malachim. Verse 14 continues from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Kadesh means sacred or holy. It received its name from the words of verses 12 and 13 of this chapter, which occurred almost 38 years earlier. That name continues on now at the close of this lengthy period. Edom means red. It is the name given to Esau, who sold his birthright for a bowl of red soup. 
the events of this sending of messengers is referred to many, many years later by Jephthah in Judges 11, verse 17, with these words. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. Edom's territory is to the south area of the Dead Sea on the westward side of the sea. It extended southward to the Red Sea. It comprises the southern area of the land of Jordan today. The intent then is that Israel wants to pass along their territory on the westernmost border and to travel toward Canaan, arriving and entering there from the east. Moses now makes this petition to Melech Edom, or the king of Edom based on their family ties. Verse 14 continues, Thus says your brother Israel, Jacob, who is Israel, and Esau, who is Edom, are brothers. Though they had a great dispute when they were 77 years old, and which brought about death threats from Esau towards his brother, they later reconciled and put aside their enmity. Both were present at the burial of their father Isaac. With their reconciliation, Moses appeals to this king, Esau's descendant and representative of Edom, as his brother. He now calls their history to mind. Verse 14 continues, You know all the hardships that has befallen us. Moses uses a very rare word here, tela'ah, or distress, to describe their situation. It was used in Exodus 18 concerning their hardships while Moses spoke to Jethro. It will be seen only two more times in the Bible, in Nehemiah and in Lamentations. It comes from a word signifying weariness. The travails of Israel have been many, and they have worn them out. Moses next details those hardships. Verse 15, how our fathers went down to Egypt. This is referring to the move of Jacob and his family 254 years earlier, and which is recorded in Genesis chapter 46. Verse 15 going on, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time. This comprises everything from Genesis 46 until the exodus of Israel in Exodus chapter 12. Israel dwelt in Egypt for 215 years. Verse 15 continues, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. This was first described in Exodus 1 with these words. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. That affliction continued on, but then there was relief. Verse 16, when we cried out to the Lord, that is recorded in Exodus 2, saying, So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Verse 16 going on, He heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. It is the same word, malach, used in verse 14 and translated as messengers. In this verse, it simply says, angel, without the article. Edom would probably not be aware of the Lord as their angel of the Lord, and so no article is used. However, here it is speaking of the messenger of the Lord, the angel of God who was sent to deliver Israel. It speaks of the eternal Christ, Jesus. The first mention of the angel of the Lord that Moses is referring to was in Exodus 3, verse 2, when he appeared to Moses in the burning bush. From there, he was mentioned in Exodus 14 when he, the angel of God, went before Israel and then moved behind them, standing between them and the Egyptians. 
He continued to be mentioned in Exodus, but this is the first reference to him in the book of Numbers. The words of Moses are recounting the events for the king of Edom to consider. Verse 16 going on, now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. As I noted earlier, they were in Kadesh at the beginning of their time of punishment wanderings, and now they are there again, standing in anticipation of finally entering the land of promise. However, instead of going up through the south, as has been rejected 38 years earlier, they intend to go to the east. The shortest route to achieve this would be up the western border of Edom, and so he petitions now for that to be allowed. Verse 17, please let us pass through your country. The wording of the verse is formal, and it's dignified. He first notes that the land is the country belonging to the king. He is the ultimate authority, and so it is only by first obtaining his permission that they would consider passing through. Verse 17 continues, we will not pass through fields or vineyards. Though the king of Adam probably doesn't know it, there is no need for Israel to wander out of their direct path. Fields and vineyards would be needed for such a large group, except that they are Israel. They have manna to sustain them on the trek through Edom. Verse 17 continues, nor will we drink water from wells. Again, the king would not know it, but there would be no need for Israel to drink from the wells of the land. They are Israel, and they had the rock which followed them. 1 Corinthians verse 10, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Verse 17 continues, We will go along the king's highway, and we will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. The term derek hamelech, or way of the king, is first used right here. It would be a public road paid for at the cost of the king's treasury and would be kept in proper order at all times for the king and his army to set out on in times of either offensive or defensive battles. It would pass through the very heart of the land, and so Moses says that they will not depart from this set path at any time, but would pass directly through the land on it. However, the words must have seemed incredulous to Adam's king. Would they carry enough food and water for several million people and their animals to trek from one end of his land to the other? He surely must have thought that the impossible nature of their claim meant that they planned more than a peaceful journey through Edom, and thus, verse 18, then Edom said to him, you shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with a sword. The refusal shows the doubting nature of the king. There is no reason to assume this is from the ancient enmity between the two. That was resolved before the brother's death. He is concerned about his land and his revenue. So much so that he promises a battle will ensue if they attempt to pass through. Despite how things turn out here, it is obviously the plan of the Lord for Israel to have to take the longer route around. He knows the end from the beginning and the benefits of land acquisition which lie ahead in the book of Numbers comes directly from the refusal which now occurs. As we saw earlier in Judges, Jephthah said that both Edom and Moab refused Israel passage through their land. It is obvious that the emissaries were sent to both countries at the same time because it would do no good to go through Edom only to be refused further travel by Moab. However, there is no need to mention that now. If Edom refuses, then Moab's refusal is irrelevant to mention. And further, only mentioning a dome now is needed to set the typology for the pictures of redemptive history now being made. 
The Lord is directing the events now in order to establish the many patterns and types of Christ that we see sermon after sermon, and also to make the land acquisitions which lie ahead prior to and at the time of Israel's entry into the land of Canaan. We are looking back on what we know, but Israel's looking ahead on an unknown. Therefore, verse 19, so the children of Israel said to him, we will go by the highway. This now has to be a second petition to the king. Here is a new word in scripture, mesilla or highway. It comes from the word salal, meaning to mount up or to lift up or to cast up and so on. Thus, it is a true highway. This explains the way of the king, which we saw in verse 17. Verse 19 going on. And if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. In this second appeal, it appears that they clued into the doubting nature of the king. How could a gathering of this immense size pass through the land without needing food or water? Surely this must be a subterfuge. And the true intent is to catch Dom unaware. They must have understood this now, and they qualify this second appeal by stating that if any water is drunk by the people, they would be willing to pay for it. It further says, Only, it is nothing. On my foot, I will pass over. They note that the matter is as inconsequential as allowing people to simply walk through without any chance of harm. But it is too late. The king has determined that they will not pass through the heart of the country with such a large contingent of people. Verse 20, then he said, you shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. Edom was so convinced of the state of things not being right with allowing Israel to pass that the king mustered a large army and a great show of force as a warning that Israel was absolutely not to pass through their land. What seems likely from the narrative is that Israel didn't expect a negative reply and actually began its trek through Edom on the king's highway before being told they could proceed no further through the mountains. This verse and the next are stated now to complete the narrative before entering into the next subject, that of the death of Aaron. But this verse and the next probably begin after verse 22 chronologically. Verse 21, thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. With this statement, the issue of whether Israel can pass through Edom or not is complete. Instead of passing through the midst of Edom, Israel will skirt its borders as is relayed in Deuteronomy chapter 2. The span of your years has come to an end, and your time has now run out. Your death is quickly approaching, friend, and of that fact there can be no doubt. When your years have ended, another shall take your place, and in your demise, a new path will be revealed. Through your administration, none could see God's face. Through you, the veil remained, and he was concealed. But another is coming to make the way plain, and through him there will be access forevermore. Where there was sadness and loss, there will now be joy and gain when the new high priest opens the door. Our second thought today is the death of Aaron. It's verses 22 through 29. Verse 22, now the children of Israel, the whole congregation. Here again, we have the same emphatic statement that was made in verse 1, the whole congregation. I told you to pay attention to that. Why would the Lord emphasize that particular part of these verses? That was first stated at the beginning of the wilderness wanderings when Miriam died. 
Now it is once again stated at the end of the wilderness wanderings. During the whole 38-year period, the entire congregation of Israel remained united. Despite being under condemnation and a death sentence in the wilderness, they remained a united people. The connection to modern Israel is not to be missed, and the continuing picture which is made is also not to be missed. The whole congregation went under an extended period of exile, even for the fullness of time allotted for their punishment, and yet they have remained the whole congregation. Israel of today is the same group who began their punishment 2,000 years ago. That is what's being pictured, and that's why that statement was there. So much for replacement theology. You go back to the Torah to find the pictures of what God is going to do in redemptive history from the beginning to the end. Israel of 2,000 years ago is Israel of today, the whole congregation. Verse 22 continues, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. The meaning of Hor is simply mountain. Thus Israel traveled from Kadesh to Hor Hahar, or Mount of the Mountain. The mountain, as recorded even to antiquity, is what is known now as Mount Harun. You can hear the name Mount Aaron, which is located close to Petra in Jordan. It is a double-peaked mountain with a tomb on it, which is said to be where Aaron was buried. Verse 23, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying, this is the last time that you will see these words in the Bible. The last time that the words, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, are recorded. There is a finality about them that we quickly read over without thinking of the sadness that must have filled Moses' heart at what will next be relayed to him. Again, as in the previous verse, the Hebrew reads, Behor Hahar, or in Mount of the Mountain. This is specifically noted as being by the border of Edom. It is here, without Israel yet entering into the land of promise, that Moses and Aaron are scheduled for a trip up the mountain. The reason for this is, verse 24, and Aaron shall be gathered to his people. It is a standard statement indicating death. It is simply what happens to a person. He is gathered to those who have gone before him. There's nothing here to indicate the location of the internment, as if there was a spot waiting for him. Rather, it is an all-encompassing statement that they are interred and he is going to join them. Aaron is set to die prior to achieving the goal which had been set out for almost 40 years earlier. Verse 24 continues, For he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel. The land is Canaan. It is the land of promise, and it is that which represents in its most idyllic sense heaven. It is the place where rest was promised, though Israel did not attain to that rest. Rather, their true rest lies yet ahead of them in the day when they come to receive their Messiah. However, Aaron, the high priest of the law and the mediator between Israel and God, would not see that land which so closely mirrors the hope of mankind, the land where God will dwell with men. The reason for this is next explained, verse 24 going on, because you rebelled against my word, at the water of Meribah. What occurred in this same chapter, but which was actually many, many years earlier, was sufficient to bar Moses and Aaron from entry into the land of promise. Together they were to speak to the rock, and water was to issue forth. But instead of speaking, Moses struck the rock twice. The symbolism of Christ was destroyed, and the penalty was spoken, which said, because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, 
Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Because of this, Moses is now told to, verse 25, take Aaron and Eliezer, a son, and bring them up to Mount Hor. Moses means he who draws out. Aaron means very high. Eliezer means whom God helps. Moses is asked to bring his older brother and his nephew, Aaron's oldest surviving son, to perform a particular ritual which was hinted at all the way back in Exodus chapter 29 at the top of Hor Hahar, or Mount of the Mountain. Verse 26, And strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. The details for the consecration of Aaron and his sons are found in Exodus 29. There this was recorded. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. That son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. It was anticipated, even at the time of their consecration, that the high priest would, in fact, die and that he would be replaced with another high priest. The time for a son of Aaron to minister in place of him has arrived. As directed, so he obeys. Verse 27, so Moses did just as the Lord commanded. Moses disobeyed the Lord, and it brought about a death sentence for himself and his brother outside of Canaan. Now he obeys the Lord in order for that death sentence to be executed upon Aaron. Verse 27 continues, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. Whether the congregation was informed that Aaron was going to die or not, this is stated so that there would be no uncertainty that the transfer of the priesthood was completed according to the law and that the transfer was specifically to Eliezer. There was to be no doubt about the succession of priests and thus there was to be no challenge to the priesthood as had occurred, as you remember, in Korah's rebellion. Verse 28, Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son. It was Moses' joyous honor to dress Aaron in these priestly garments a bit over 38 years earlier, and it is now his mournful duty to strip him of them and to pass them on to Eliezer. There was probably no more difficult moment in the life of Moses than this. Despite all of the trials and all of the frustrations, an age was ending, and it was an age which departed with the life of his sole remaining sibling. At the same time, it was probably a very proud moment for Aaron, seeing his son receive the sacred garments of the priesthood. To avoid defilement, the transfer is made before Aaron's death. But again, sorrow must have filled the heart of Eliezer, despite the honor placed upon him, and which meant that he could not mourn the death of his own father, his heart must have been overwhelmed with grief. Further, he would have to remove himself from Aaron before he actually died. This was seen in the book of Leviticus with these words. He who is the high priest among his brethren, on whose head the anointing oil was poured, and who is consecrated to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor tear his clothes, nor shall he go near any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or his mother. Such was the burden of the newly established high priest of Israel. Verse 28 continues, And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Here it is simply called Hahar, or the mountain. The transfer was complete. The garments were placed upon Eliezer, and Aaron breathed his last. What is probable is that along with Moses and Eliezer, some attendants went with them who would bury Aaron and then require purification with the ashes of the red heifer. 
If this were not the case, then either Moses went down defiled, which is highly improbable, or Aaron was left to die and the Lord determined how his body would find its final mode and place of deterioration. Concerning his death, Numbers 33 says this, Then Aaron, the priest, went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt on the first day of the fifth month. Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. This is in exacting agreement with Exodus 7, verse 7, which says Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. That then agrees with Deuteronomy 34, verse 7, which says Moses was 120 years old when he died. And so this is then the year 2,554 Anno Mundi, or from the creation of the world. It is also in the 39th year of Aaron's ministry. Verse 28 continues, Then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. As I said, it is highly improbable that Moses touched Aaron's body after he died. If so, there could be no contact between him and Eliezer. He who wore the sacred garments was to remain away from anyone who was unclean. This would, according to law, include Moses. The weight of the law and the burden of ensuring it was met now fell upon him. Verse 29, now when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. 30 days is, according to Deuteronomy 34, verse 8, the standard time given for such an event. That passage details the same 30-day period of mourning for Moses. And so closes out the record of Aaron's life. Moses' own demise is coming only a short time later. It will be mere months, and the time for that sad event will be experienced by the people of Israel. A greater priesthood lies yet ahead, but it cannot come when the old remains alive. Not until the first one is finished and dead can the new come in and begin to thrive. But the first cannot end until all is complete. Only when that happens can the new one come in. When the law is fulfilled and the devil suffers defeat, then, joyfully, then will the new covenant begin. Let us put our trust in the one who has done it. Let us look to he who died on Calvary's tree. To him alone we, our souls, shall commit because he alone has set us free. Our third thought today is a greater priesthood. The passage we just looked over shows very clearly the temporary nature of the law of Moses. The instructions given at the time of the consecration of Aaron, which said that upon his death, the garments would transfer to his son, and the noting of that act now in the 39th year of Aaron's priesthood shows that nothing was made perfect through the Aaronic priesthood. Aaron was the representative of the law before the Lord, and yet he died. This shows that his sinful state remained. Further, if the designated representative before the Lord died, then those on whose behalf he ministered for were also not perfected. This is explained in Hebrews chapter 10 with these words. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Thank God for Jesus Christ. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. However, at the time of the establishment of the priesthood, 
These things weren't expected to be thought through. Only now as we look at the whole counsel of God can we clearly see the temporary nature of the law and the limitations that went along with the associated offices and rights connected to it. Only in Christ is that which is perfect and eternal realized. The death of Aaron in the 39th year of his priesthood is surely a subtle hint of the ending of the priesthood in the coming of Jesus Christ. There are 39 books in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. In that final book, the messenger of the covenant is promised who is called the son of righteousness. The darkness of the law would be overshadowed by the brilliancy of the arrival of Messiah who would come with healing in his wings. Where Aaron ministered under a law of death leading to death, Messiah would come with a covenant of life leading to life. What we have seen here today is the time when Israel's ready to be brought into the new covenant. Their time of punishment is almost over. It notes that they are in Kadesh, or holy, and want to go through Edom in order to advance towards the land of promise. As we saw in Numbers 13, Kadesh signified access to the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. That is their starting point. But how will it come about? In Genesis, Edom was given as a picture of Adam. If you remember, Esau comes from the word Asaw, which is God made man, Asaw. And Edom comes from Adam, the name Adam. And so he's a picture of Adam, okay? Israel is the spiritual man. He wants to go through Edom, the natural man, in order to get to their promised inheritance. It is a picture of attempting to enter heaven through works of the law, meaning through the natural man. But it doesn't work that way. Edom refuses. Even when promising to take the king's highway and pay for their food and water, the refusal is made. One does not buy what God offers freely. As Simon the sorcerer found out in Acts chapter 8, and as Isaiah proclaims in Isaiah 55 verse 1, Ho! Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. One cannot go through the natural man in order to receive or enter the promise. Israel had the rock with them all along, just as Israel had Christ with them all along. They just kept stumbling over him for 2,000 years is the picture that's being made here. But as Paul says, but with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Think of the Jews for 2,000 years dying apart from Jesus Christ, bodies scattering in the wilderness of the earth. Israel's attempts to enter the promise through Adam, meaning the flesh, are so strongly rejected that it says Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. So much for such an attempt. And so it says that they turned away from him. Israel will turn away from Adam at some point. That point is then introduced in the next words which state that they journeyed from Kadesh or Holy to Mount Hor, or Mount of the Mountain. What would that be picturing? The last named mountain that they were at was Mount Sinai, which is called the Mountain of the Lord, and which they departed from in Numbers chapter 9. If Sinai, which represents the law, is the Mountain of the Lord, and if Christ is the fulfillment of the law, then Mount Hor, the Mount of the Mountain, is a picture of Christ. It is at this location that Aaron is set to die. Two truths are seen in Aaron. The Aaronic priesthood is typical of Christ, the greater high priest. But Aaron is also literally the high priest of the law. He is in the 39th year of his priesthood. 
The Old Testament ends with the 39th book of the Bible, and by providence, I did not plan it this way, we are in our 39th number sermon today, which is kind of fun. The transfer of the priesthood from Aaron, meaning very high and typical of Christ, but who is also of the line of the high priest of the law, to Eliezer, or whom God helps, represents the change of the priesthood from that which pictures Christ in his work, very high, to that which pictures Christ in his person, whom God helps. He fulfilled the law and established the new covenant, becoming God's true and final high priest. Being fully God, it is he who helps those who come to him in faith. Aaron, representative of the law of Moses, had to die outside of the land of promise because it is not by works of the law that one can enter, but through faith in Christ. The typology is set because the typology points to Christ. Remember the poignant lesson that we had in our sermon last week? The law can perfect nothing. This is seen in the death of the law's high priest. If he wasn't perfected by the law, then nobody could be perfected by it. Only one born perfect under the law and then who perfectly fulfilled the law could bring the law to its end. Aaron died on the mount of the mountain. The law died in Jesus Christ. Here's what it says in Colossians chapter 2. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, meaning the law of Moses, that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he is taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it. The symbolism is, did somebody walk up to Christ's cross and nail a copy of the Torah to it? No, he is the embodiment of the law of Moses. He was nailed to the cross. He died on the cross. The law is annulled in him. It is obsolete in him. I can't tell you how many people have sent me emails in the past week arguing that the law of Moses is still binding because of my prophecy update last week. Again and again and again, people keep missing the typology which was given in the Torah to show us the greatness of what Christ did for us. The message of these Old Testament stories keeps telling us time and time again that only in the coming of Messiah will things truly be as they should be. The Aaronic priesthood will continue on after Aaron, and there will be oodles of pictures of Christ there as well. But the thing to remember is that these folks just kept on dying. Priests, kings, prophets, and common folk, they just kept dying. The law itself says that the man who does the things of the law will live, but the people just kept on dying. There is not one person recorded under the law of Moses that is alive today. Not one, with the exception of Jesus Christ. They just kept dying. What futile, pointless existence if the law of Moses is where you have put your hope, except when it is in the one who fulfilled that law. If that is where your hope is placed, it is well-placed indeed. Come to Christ, rest in Christ, and trust in Jesus Christ. Put away your arrogant deeds of the law and be saved by Jesus Christ our Lord. May it be so, and may it be today. Our closing verse comes from John chapter 19. Very difficult words for some people to understand. It is finished. Great stuff from our Lord Jesus. Next week is Numbers 21, 1 through 9. Exciting stuff. You won't be bored.
It's entitled The Standard of the Lord. I'm telling you, there are such pictures of Christ in that bronze serpent that you are just, you're going to come out of your seat. That'll be our 40th number sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in the desert, wandering aimlessly, but I'll tell you what, the Lord is there, and he is carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? My appeal today, because most people already know Jesus Christ, but there may be somebody that watches this sermon that doesn't. My appeal to you today is to understand that Christ came fully God and fully man. He was born under the law, and he lived the law perfectly, and he gave up that perfect life in exchange for your sins, whoever you are. He gave that life up so that you could have life, true life, in him, in the presence of God for all of eternity. And so if you've never simply called out to Christ in faith, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, do it today, and he will save you, okay? Short poem, and we'll have communion. From Kadesh to Mount Hor. Before I do that, I've got a question for you. I've got a Maserati waiting for anybody that can answer this. This is a give me. I say it every week, and it is. Somebody will get it. Which book of the New Testament speaks most specifically about Jesus' priesthood, and especially in contrast to that of Aaron's priesthood? Hebrews. Hebrews. You get a Maserati. Good job there, brother. And anybody else that yelled that out as well. Here we go. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom, words to discuss. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us. How our fathers went down to Egypt, Jacob and his family, so they did do. And we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us, and our fathers too. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel by divine order and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, as I say, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, so shall it be until we have passed through your territory. Then Adam said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with a sword. This you best understand. So the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, for sure, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Then he said, You shall not pass through. So Adam came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. Thus Adam refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him, as we now understand. Now the children of Israel, the whole congregation, so we know, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. To Mount Hor they did go. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor. To them he was relaying by the border of the land of Adam, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land. Such is the spoken law, which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eliezer, his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, that is where, and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded, as was fitting and right. And they went up to Mount Hor in all the congregation's sight. Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son. And there on the top of the mountain, Aaron died. Then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. Now when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. For him, their tears were shed. Lord God, we are even now in the wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you. And without you to direct our lives would be a mess. So be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. 
We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand, and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We shall follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Before I say our prayer, if somebody, Jim or Jay, would you go back and check the box and see if there's any white envelopes for John? Heavenly Father, thank you very much for the chance to be with John today. We ask that you bless him in his ministry. Take him safely back to where he's going today and his flight back to wherever he goes after that safely as well. And Lord, we thank you for the many riches which are found in Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you for what he did and for the blessing of being in him, saved by the blood of the Lamb, free from condemnation and not being imputed sin any longer. Oh, God, thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so it's in his precious and beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. We get the instruction for the Lord's Supper directly from the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And there Paul wrote these words. He said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And for those of you who have never attended this church before, I'll tell you that this bread in its entirety pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. It's without yeast, which means it's, he was without sin. If you look at it, you can see that it looks like it was beaten. A person with a, a Roman flagron, I think is what they call it, the stripes on his back. And if you hold it up to the light, you can see right through it thousands of little holes picturing where he was pierced. And so this is a picture of Christ's body for us. And he would have blessed us. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it. And he said, take and eat this. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he would have taken the cup after supper. And he would have blessed us as well. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Borei Peri HaGuffin. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Mark, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Charlie. Yes, sir.
the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You got it. Thank you. Make sure you tell those beautiful girls and your husband that I say hello. I sure Please. will. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Hello, Susan Garrett. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Bob, good to have you. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doing well today? Yes, sir. Good deal. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Good to have you here. Car's riding okay? Perfect. Perfect. Good. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Vic, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Good job, Derek. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are you doing today? The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hi, Elaine. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to have you here today, brother. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so glad you stayed for the Lord's Supper. I know you're busy, but it, honor it's an honor. Here, God bless you, sir. Thank you for being here. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to drink Miss Magnuson's cup today. Remember, she had a heart attack last night, and she's okay. But keep her and all the others in prayer. And uh, it's uh, honored us to be in the congregation with these wonderful people. And yesterday, Laura went to the hospital with me and took such good care of her. So she's a wonderful person. If you have a chance, she's in room, I believe, 758. They moved her while we were there. It's on the seventh floor in the uh, heart section. So if you have a chance, please go visit her. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fellowship that we have here in this church, and we thank you for the online ministry as well. We pray that you bless them and meet their needs and exceed it, even to abundance, so that they can turn around and praise you and give you great and wonderful praises from their lips day in and day out, all day and all night, because you are worthy of it. But should you withhold blessings from us, help us to stand firm on the gospel of Christ and not to waver in our convictions. Even if the whole world comes against us, you have prevailed over it. And so in you, we can be strong and we have a sure hope. And we remember your death until you come again. May it be soon. Amen. Amen. Amen.